0: And it is so encouraging to worship together, to pray together. Joey, um, where are you? There you are. Just uh, thank you for your leadership, that the the Holy Spirit was ministering to my heart as you led us in in praying and seeking God, and and I'm sure that many of you can say the same. Um, And and so as we just transition now into hearing God's word, um, I'm going to pray one more time. Um, Also, I don't know if you guys hear it, but I hear a squeak. All right, so let's pray one more time and ask God to illuminate his word for us. Um, whatever need each of us had, we, we do know that our greatest need right now is to hear from God and for him to change us and change our hearts and, and fuel us with his grace. So let's pray that he would do that. Father, we come to you and, and we believe that you gave us your word to, most of all, Show us your glory. We believe that you gave us your word not as a manual for us to follow, but as a story for us to know and find ourselves in, where we come to realize that Jesus Christ is all, and he is central, and he is our savior, and he is our hope. And so so God, we pray that today, more than anything else, you would reveal your glory in the face of Christ as we open your word. Lord, we also believe that your word is, is useful because it's breathed out by you, and it equips us for every good work. It, it trains us for righteousness. It corrects us. It leads us. So your word is a light for our paths. Your word exposes our sin. Your word does so many things in us, and, and we all have different needs today different ways that we need your Spirit to take the sword of your Word and do surgery on us. And so we would pray for that, God. We would pray that your Spirit would would handle your Word in our hearts, that your Spirit would come and and change us and do things in us that make us more like Christ, that, that increase our joy in Him, that increase our effectiveness for Him, that increase our hope in Him. And God, we we trust that whenever your word goes forth, that it accomplishes your purpose because you are a sovereign God. And so, we pray you would accomplish your purpose this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. um, Before we begin this morning, uh, getting into our text, I want to ask everybody to stand. You guys need to stretch a little bit, right? So, let's all stand. Um, I guess... uh, What's today? May something? It's May, right? So I think we're in that, May, 2017, right? That's the year. So this year we bought a house, uh, Candace and I, and so we're in our, our first um, home where we've owned, and we've been there for about a month, and just got me thinking that we can do this little exercise together. I want you to sit down if your answer is yes to my question, alright? Sit down if your answer is yes to my question. Make sure I said that right. Okay. That's right. Sit down if your answer is yes to my question. Have you lived in your house for less than two months? Sit down. Alright, Candace and Jordan and Mary, you guys all sit, okay. See over there, you sit, okay. If you lived in your house for less than have you lived in your house for less than one year? Less than a year. Okay, got a few more sitting, all right. Okay, less than two years. Have you lived in your house for less than two years? All right, less than five years. All right, got a few more falling, okay. Less than 10 years. Just a few more left, all right. Less than 15 years. Less than twenty years. Okay, less than twenty-five years. Robbie, really? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you gotta sit down. You gotta sit down. So. (laughs) <laughs> all right less than 30 years okay less than 40 years is that too much is that less than 40 okay less than 45 years anthony wow okay how okay everyone give anthony a round of applause all right that's awesome so stay, stay standing for a second all right oh, you can sit down so how long have you lived in your house 49 years. Okay, that's awesome. Um, I want to ask you I'm confident in the way you're answering this question. Um, What does your house, your home, mean to you and Carolyn? Place to live. Place to live? (laughs) Shelter. That's not the way I anticipated that going. All right. (laughs) So there's a there's a good thing in, in what you just said for sure that's a, there's there's something there um what when you when you think about your home um and just yeah it's a place to live right and and if you guys had to move, I know you guys would just be thankful for the place God gave you but I said as you think about the memories the life you've lived in that house just right over there right and I've been on your porch with you guys um what, at least would you agree with me that there is a sense of just, um, home that you feel in your house, in your house, that it it feels like home, this, this is, this is the place that God has worked in your lives, this is the place that you've, you've been with your family, this is, you've got, um, life events that have happened here, and, and when you come home from a day of work, I mean, you're home, right, now, I'm saying that with not, not very much experience, um, but I'm sure that the longer you've each lived in one place, the, the more you feel that this, this house is, is my home. This, this is, this is our, our place. This is where we come back to for rest. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was looking for, all right? It becomes a part of you a part of you and you know it's, it's funny because just, just a few weeks ago when we moved out we were just renting our place but it was all empty I was I was there by myself getting a few last things and I just felt kind of sad like man this is our this was our home like we brought Lucy back here and we, we had so many good memories here the last four years and and it just felt sad you know and and now I'm happy we're in our new home but there's a connection there uh, Lauren, Chris I see you guys nodding your heads I remember when you moved you you, you guys had just kind of a great home in Ohio. You guys had found, felt like you had just found a place that you were going to be and live and a community around you and, and a home and, and the, just the process it was to move back to Alabama out of nowhere and, and, and then the process of finding your new home and making that, you know, I, I, I just see we, we all know that feeling, right? We all have that sense of home. God designed us with that. God designed us with a longing for a home. The Garden of Eden was a perfect home for Adam and Eve. God made a perfect home for them. This is where they were to live in his presence with one another, with their family. This was home for them. The, the promised land, when God came to Abram and said, "I'm go from your home, and I'm going to show you a place that's going to be your home. It's going to be the home of your descendants, and he promised it to them a home full of beauty and resources and, and blessing, and Abraham went, and, and when his wife died and didn't have any home, he bought a piece of land because he said, this is going to be our home. God promised this for our home. Jesus told his disciples before he left, he said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you back to it. Jesus promised a home to his disciples. Listen, all, all of our efforts at, at making houses into homes, like right now we've been doing a lot of work to make our house into a home, and some of you have been doing a lot of work to make our house into a home as well. Thank you. All that effort is because underneath, we, we have this longing for to, to be at home, right? Well, like, when you go on vacation, and and you've been you've been gone for a few days and you're enjoying it, but then you start towards the end you start feeling like I'm I'm ready to go home, right? I'm ready to get back to our home now. When you when you go back and visit your childhood home, uh, just that feeling of nostalgia you get, right? Like Kristen Lord, if you went back to Ohio and just saw it all, like what would you feel? Just a flood of emotions, right? It was home for you guys. And all of that points to this God-given longing that we all have for home. We all have this God-given longing for a true home. And Joey, you said this in your prayer, that home is with God. The home is with Him. So we're starting a series through the book of Daniel called Home, and I think that there will be a banner here for it that Daniel made, no pun intended. All right, so (laughs) Daniel made this banner for us, and... And we'll, we'll, we'll kind of look at a few of the features of that in a second here. The, the book of Daniel is a story about four young men, essentially four teenagers. They're, they're probably Wes's age. They're probably, probably no, no much older than any of our high schoolers. And, and they are smart. They're, they're gifted. And out of nowhere, this army comes and besieges their city, kills their friends and family, and takes them thousands of miles away from their home to Babylon. The, the Babylonians come and, and they take them as exiles away from their home and they bring them to their new home, foreign, strange, away from everything that they had, away from everything that they knew and for all they knew, this was going to be their new home for the rest of their lives. It's, it's the story of how these young men learned to live in this new home, in this new place, even while they looked back and looked, looked for their, their true home, their ultimate home, their home in God's kingdom. And, and so we, we know in a later scene in this book that every day every day Daniel would go up into his house and, and he'd go in front of this window, and this window, when he looked out toward it, he, it faced Jerusalem, it faced home. And every day he would go up in that window in his house, in in his home that God had given him, and he would turn towards his true home. And he would pray. He would pray for God's people. and He would pray for God's salvation. And he would remember his home. And he would look toward it. And, And then he would go back down his staircase, and he would go back to his job, and he would live where God called him to live. Live in his home, but longing for his true home, remembering his true home. And so if you look at this picture, um, you get this idea that that's just picture someone behind this window one of you behind this window just just looking out this is where you are this is where you live this is where God has called you to be but you're looking out towards your true home you're looking out from where you are to where God has put that longing to be with him and then the the word home just reminding you that that for us as followers of Christ we we have two homes we we, we all have a home right here right here in this world we all have a a place to live, we have a community, we have a neighborhood. We all have a home, but our true home is with God. Our true home is in his kingdom. And so we need to learn how to look toward our true home while at the same time living now in our home away from home, in our temporary homes. And so this book is going to help us to live in our home now while we look toward our true home. When you see this banner every week, just let it remind you that God has me... In a home now. He's called me to a place now where, where this is my home and this is where I'm called to be. This is where I'm called to serve him. This is where he's put me. But I'm looking out toward my ultimate home. I'm looking forward to my ultimate home in God's kingdom. That's, that's my true longing, to be there with him. And we're going to learn how to be faithful now in our, in our temporary home, in exile, so to speak. God, God tells us in the New Testament that if you're in Christ, you're in exile in this world. If you're in Christ, you've been transferred from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of his son. So the minute you put your faith in Christ, you became an exile here. The minute you put your faith in Christ, you didn't, you're no longer part of this world. Now you're part of God's kingdom, and you live as an exile and a stranger in this world. And so that's what the book of Daniel is about. That these guys in exile, away from home, learning how to be faithful to God while they look for their true home. And while they have faith in that, and that's what we're going to be looking at for the next six weeks together. And so today's sermon is is titled, Welcome to Babylon. Welcome to Babylon. And you can turn to chapter 1, Daniel chapter 1. It's after Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel and Lamentations, the book of Daniel. Chapter 1 serves as an introduction to Daniel and his friends, an introduction to what happened to them, and really a, a picture of what life in exile looks like. And so we're going to go through this chapter together, and what we're going to see is four things that you must do to be faithful in exile. Four things you must do to be faithful in exile. Again, that our situation is different from theirs, That their exile is different from ours, this gives us a picture of what it looks like to live as exiles in this world that's not our home. What do we need to do to live for God's glory here and now? What do we need to do to live faithfully to God in this world that we don't belong in? What do we need to do, what is God calling us to do to be faithful in exile? And this text is going to give us four things. And so uh, let's begin by looking at the first point, which is trust in God's sovereignty. This is the first thing that you need to do to be faithful in exile, trust in God's sovereignty. But let's read verses 1 through 7 and we'll see we'll see where this is. Verses 1 through 7 of Daniel. In the 3rd year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace." and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. We'll stop there. Verses 1 through 7. One first thing you must do to be faithful in exile is trust in God's sovereignty. So let's put ourselves in the position of Daniel and his friends. tales names is what we'll go with from here on out. So Radshad and Benny, okay? Daniel, Radshad, and Benny. And, and they are, like we said, in Jerusalem. They are young men. They, they are bright futures ahead of them. And then... God um, allows King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon to come and besiege the city, to take their king, to kill their friends and family. And and then what does King Nebuchadnezzar do once once he besieges and conquers Jerusalem? First, he goes into the temple. He goes into the temple and he takes the vessels from the temple and he has them sent back to the temple of his God in Babylon. What what is that communicating? Why, Why did he do that? He did it to show, I've conquered this God. My God has conquered this God. Yahweh has been defeated by my God, and now his vessels are in the temple of my God to show that, that my God is greater than this God. And so in conquering Jerusalem, Babylon has, has shown the world, we've conquered the God of Israel. We've conquered Yahweh. And then above that, he, he then says, find the smartest kids Find the best looking kids, find the richest kids, and, and bring all of them to Babylon. Bring, bring all, all the wealthiest, all the noblest, all the richest, all, all of them. I want them back in Babylon. What we're gonna do is we're gonna transform these kids from good Israelites into good Babylonians. We're, we're gonna put them into Babylon State University, BSU, okay? Put them to BSU, enroll them for three years. They're gonna be on the fast track Okay, to their undergrad. And they're going to take classes, they're going to learn the literature, learn the language, we're, and then we're going to make them love it. We're going to bring them home every night to dinner and, and put them at the king's table. We're going to give them all this amazing food, just as exactly what the king eats is what they're going to eat. Exactly what he drinks, they're going to drink. And, and then beyond that, we're going to change their names. Because their names are jewish names but they're not going to be jews anymore they're going to be good smart babylonians and so we're going to give them new names to represent our land our gods it is a total effort at assimilation right that they don't want any trace that these guys were exiles from jerusalem anymore they want them to just become strong smart helpful babylonians if you think about daniel what is he thinking as he's going through this what, what, what would a young man be tempted to think as he endures this, as he, as he becomes part of this, and as his life is, is just taken out of nowhere, and, and this happens. He's thinking, my God couldn't stop them. My, my God was defeated. I mean, this is the, this is the kingdom of God. This is Israel. This is Abraham's God, and Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. This is the promised land. This is the land where, where all nations would be blessed, and, and, and he would be thinking, my God was defeated. And he goes, he's in Babylon, he sees the temple, and he sees the vessels from his God in that temple every day. And, and he's thinking, my God was defeated. That the one I worshipped and the one I trusted in was 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 conquered. And and then he's, he's going through the schooling, and he's going, he's going to these dinners, and And what would he be tempted to do? Just, well, I'll I'll worship this God now. My God was defeated, and and this is a pretty good life they're setting up for me here. Good classes, good food, good good situation. I can make the most of this. That's not what Daniel did. We're going to see that Daniel did not respond that way. Daniel did not think that way. And what Daniel wants us to know from these first seven verses, what he wants his readers to know is this happened because God Allowed it to happen. Look up at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into King Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And the Lord gave some of the vessels of the house of God into his hand. God didn't only go over the king to King Nebuchadnezzar. He he even gave over the temple to King Nebuchadnezzar. The the God of the temple said, here, have it. Take it. He, he, He allowed the world to see him conquered. He allowed the world to see Jerusalem fall, his people fall. Not because he wasn't in control, because he was in control, because he, because he was working. But from a human perspective, this, this is Babylon defeating God's people and defeating God himself. But from God's perspective and from Daniel's perspective, this is part of Yahweh's sovereign plan for his people, for his kingdom, for his glory. And Daniel wants us to know that. He wants to see that in the moment when God seemed most out of control... He was most in control. He's most in control. And so that's why this point is trust in God's sovereignty. Now, most Christians know Romans 8.28. And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And, and we also know this other verse, but Daniel didn't have Romans 8.28. He did have Jeremiah 29.11, though. You guys know Jeremiah 29.11, probably too. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. You know, that verse was written to the exiles in Babylon. That, that, that verse was in a letter sent through the prophet Jeremiah, God's word to the exiles. In, this is to Daniel. This is to his friends and God telling them, I know the plans I have for you. Daniel, my plans for you are good plans. My plans for you are, are plans for a future their plans for hope. What's happening to you right now, it might seem like I'm out of control, but I'm not. I know what I'm doing, and it's for your good. It's it's under my control, and it's for your good. And in the midst of a circumstance that declared just the opposite, Daniel trusted that. Daniel said, I'm going to trust that God is sovereign, and God is good, and what's happening to me, and what's happening to my people, is an expression of that sovereign goodness. So, what does all this mean for us? How does this help us live faithfully in exile? Well, here's the thing. When, when things are going badly for us, we're tempted to disbelieve either God's sovereignty or God's goodness or both. When things are going badly, we, we, we just, well, God must not be sovereign, because if he was sovereign, why would he let this happen? If he was in control, this would never have happened. So this must be Satan. This must be something else. This must be spiritual warfare that's going on, because God couldn't have let this happen. Or we distrust his goodness, and, and, we, and we say, well, God's in control, but he's definitely not for me, because look, look what's happening in my life, and we distrust him. But what God's word calls us to is, is not to measure God's sovereign goodness by our circumstances, but to measure our circumstances by his sovereign goodness. Does that make sense? So you're in your circumstance, and, and instead of saying, because this is happening, that means this about God. No, it's the other way around. This is happening, but I know this is true about God. And so what's happening to me is good. What's happening to me is from Him. What's happening to me is under His control. He's allowed this to happen. He's, he's ordained this to happen for my good and His glory, just like we said saying earlier. And so the calling on us is to believe it and to trust it and to allow yourself to be comforted by God's sovereignty. Like, Let yourself get to that point where you say, God, this is a good thing that you're sovereign. This is hard what I'm going through. This this, this is difficult. I don't understand. But I believe you're sovereign and I believe you're good. And and I'm going to trust in that. And even right now, I'm going to take comfort in that. And how do you know know this is true ultimately? Because in in the moment when God seemed most out of control, when, when was this? It was, it was in the death of his son. Like it was, If there's ever a moment in history where it seemed like God was not in control, it was when his son was crucified. It was when Jesus Christ was up on a cross letting Roman soldiers nail him down and being mocked and torn. That, this is God? But in that moment, in his sovereign goodness, God was saving a people for himself. That This is God's sovereign goodness and that's, and that's what we believe and trust in. That's why we know that all things work together for good, for those who love him. And so first, trust in God's sovereignty. (coughs) Second, resolve to be holy. Resolve to be holy. Let's read verses 8 through 16. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the others who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter. He tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Alright, so remember, part of this new assimilation process was that they get to eat the king's food. Every night, they get, they get to eat what King Nebuchadnezzar eats, and they get to drink what King Nebuchadnezzar drinks. But the problem is, we don't know exactly what the food was, but the problem is that as, as those who were God's people, this would be breaking God's law. That this, this would be something that would defile them. And if you, we're not going to turn there, but you go to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 11. God details all the things that they were to stay away from, all the things that would make them unclean. And and here's why. At the end of the chapter, he says, because you need to be holy, because I'm holy. And I'm your God who brought you out of Egypt, so be holy. So, so, So God in Leviticus tells his people, because I delivered you from Egypt and because I'm holy, in response to that, be holy. Now Daniel is in Babylon now, he's away from the temple, he's away from, from God's people, he's in he's in this this other place, but he chooses in this moment, I'm going to continue to be faithful to God's law. Instead of instead of just allowing myself to say, you know, I'm not there. This is a different situation. I'm just gonna eat the food. He could have just eaten the food and, and then just in every other way tried to represent God. But he says, no, I'm going to be faithful to God's word. I'm going to be holy because he is holy. And so he resolves to do it. And, and think about what he's doing here. One, he, he is denying the richest of food. He, just, just think about your favorite meal for a second. Joey, what's your favorite food? All food. All, food. <laughs> All right. So just, just think about going over to Golden Corral where they have all food, right? <laughs> they got whatever you want over there, and just spending the day there, right? It's the king's feast, okay? Daniel is denying that for what? For some veggies and some water. He so says, just give us vegetables and water. That's all we need. This, this isn't like, this isn't, you know, give us some good sheep. Give us some good veal. Well, you got your pork, right? No, this, this is vegetables and water just just basically fasting, right? Basically eating, eating nothing. He, he's denying that for holiness's sake, for God's sake. He's, he's subjugating himself to this strict diet where he's going to feel hunger pains all the time because he wants to be holy. He wants to continue to, to follow God. And, and then in doing this, he's also risking his life. I mean, to go to this guy and even request this, the, the guy could have immediately sentenced him and his friends to death. And God, the only reason he did it is is because it says God gave him favor and compassion. It's the only reason that he didn't die, but, but, but Daniel felt like it was worth it to, to, to not eat the food, even if it cost him his life. Now, now what happens, God, God blesses this resolve. God blesses this resolve, and what you read in verses nine through 16 is just a miracle, okay? Because I've never met anyone who ate veggies for 10 days and was fatter than someone who ate meat and bread for 10 days, right? That's not how diets work, okay? So God takes their resolve, and, and he takes the situation where they say, test us, we're going to eat vegetables and water for 10 days, and, and after the 10 days, God works in their bodies miraculously so that they are not only healthier, but they're fatter. <laughs> they're a bunch of fat kids now, right? And, and the guy sees them and says, this is amazing, you can, you can keep doing it. You can keep doing it. God pulls off a miracle for them of a miracle for them and, and what we need to see is that this resolve to be holy is, is, there's three there's three applications for us that I want us to see alright first it, it's hard okay this is hard I just the more I thought about it this week the more I realized this was not an easy thing for them to do to deny the king's food for vegetables that's a hard choice to make that, that is denying something that's delightful something that's plain. It's not something that, 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 that's, that's great for something that's simple. It's not something that, that, would, bring, that would bring gratification for something that would, that would bring nothing of the sort. And it's hard. And if, if you are truly pursuing holiness, it's, it's going to be hard. Like, that, that's one question you can't even ask yourself right now. Would I characterize my pursuit of holiness as being hard? Because if it's not, you're probably not pursuing holiness the way you need to be. If it's not hard, if, it's, if, the, if you don't feel the war going on inside of you every day, then you're not pursuing holiness like you need to be pursuing holiness because it is hard. Your flesh battles against the spirit inside of you. And, and if you set your sights on obeying God and following him, it's going to be hard. There is a war going on. At the same time, it's worth it. Holiness is worth it. Like I said, Daniel risked his life to obey God in this. And why did he do that? Because he knew that God is my delight. God is my treasure. God is my feast. I don't need these temporary pleasures. I, I, I have God, and I want to be closer to God, and I want to worship God, and when I do that, I'm going to be fuller than any food could make me. It's worth it. You know, it was worth anything to him. Here is was his life. And the third thing we need to see, this, this is important, is that holiness is possible. It's possible because God helps us. Like God does not give us commands to be holy that we we then try to do and we fail to do and and then he just says, do better, do better, do better. No, God helps us to be holy. He, He gives what he commands. He provides the means for us to follow him. Just like he did here in this situation with food and water, he does for us as we pursue love and righteousness and purity. God supplies the means in Christ. He, he, he's given us the spirit of Christ. He's given us the people of Christ. He's given us his word. And, and through these means, holiness is possible. And, and so some of you today, maybe you just need to resolve to be holy like they did. Maybe, maybe you're saying, I'm not fighting that fight. I, my Christian life has has been good, but I wouldn't characterize it as, as warfare. And you need to start waging the warfare and and and. and taking a hard path of, of really fighting against sin, fighting for holiness and purity. At the same time, some of you need to just know it's worth it, it's worth it, because you're beginning to wonder if it is. You're going to wonder if, if God is worth it, and if his commands are worth it, and if it's better just to, to not worry about it, and then, and then some of you just need to know it's possible, because you've been trying, you've been struggling, you've been failing, you just need to know it's possible, and that there's always hope, and press in because God will supply victory in your life as you press in in faith to him and you, and you, and you take of the resources he's given us in, in his word and his people. So resolve to be holy. That, that's the second mark of an exile, to be faithful. Okay, have got just two more here. Number three is serve the lost. Verses 17 through 20, serve the lost. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Okay, first thing I want you to notice is the connection between the last section and this section. Look at those first few words in verse 17. As for these four youths, as for these four youths, what, which four youths? The four youths who resolved to not defile themselves, the four youths who stepped out in faith to be holy, the four youths who, who risked their lives to follow God. It's these four youths that God gives learning and skill, and wisdom, and visions. It's, it's these four used that God equips for His purpose in Babylon. And, and we need to see that connection. We need to see that holiness and witness are connected. That, that God wants to witness to the world, but he, He's going to use those who are holy. He's going to use those who are committed to Him. Holiness strengthens witness, not normalness. And that, that's a lie that we easily believe. We, we believe that the more normal we seem to the world, the better our witness will be. If we just can convince them that we're basically like them and we believe in God, then then maybe they'll believe in God too. But that, that's not what we see here. We see, we see these four guys who set themselves apart, who so every youth around them knew, these guys don't come to dinner with us. These guys go and eat vegetables every day. These guys are, are different. They're weird. They're, they're off. And God uses them. Holiness strengthens witness, not normalness. Distinctness strengthens witness. God, God takes these four youths, and what does he do? He, he essentially gives them skill and wisdom and understanding as they're in their classes God enables them to learn it well, to, to do to well in their tests, and, and to graduate at the top of their class. That's basically what happens, right? God, God helps these guys to, to be the best, 10 times better than anyone else. Now, that's not a promise to Christian teenagers that you're gonna be the valedictorian of your class, right? But it is a promise that God will equip you for whatever way he wants to use you. He's gonna give you the skills, and he's gonna give you the gifts, and the opportunities that you need for whoever he wants to use you in whoever's life. See, see what he did is he put them in a position to serve the king in order that they could be in a position to reach the king. What we're going to see in chapters 2, 3, and 4 is God reaching King Nebuchadnezzar through these guys. What we see here is God just putting them in the position where that can happen. And he's doing it as they say, we're in Babylon, and we're going to serve this king. We're going to be in his court. We're going to give him wisdom. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to do what he asks. We're, going, we're not going to compromise on holiness. But we are going to serve him with the, with the gifts God's given us so that God could reach them. And, and I think as a church, we need to embrace this point if we want to see more effectiveness in reaching the lost. If we want to reach more people, we need to serve more people. We don't, we don't serve enough. Every one of us, first of all, just needs to be serving in a regular way. Every one of us. Like, ask yourself this week, how am I planning to serve the lost? Do I, do I even have any time in my schedule where, that I could say I'm serving the lost there? I'm serving the world there? Or, or is everything centered around the saved <laughs> and around yourself and your family and your church? We want that, too. We need that, too, right? But, but if we're not serving the lost and we're not being faithful in exile... We could just be in God's kingdom, but he has us here. We've got, we've got some opportunities. I just want to name them, take the, take the chance to name them. We have jail ministry on Thursday nights and other times of the week. We have Save-A-Life that you can go and, and ask them how to help. and I, they, they would train you to be a counselor. You could be a counselor up there if you just would do training. You could talk with ladies who are in crisis. You could do Big Brother, Big Sister, and, and, and just have an impact on, on one kid's life every week you just, just at your job, going to your job and serving, using your gifts, using your skills, and, and, and making that a way to serve the people around you. At the same time, just be creative and, and get intentional. Like, what are you good at? What, what needs do your neighbors have? How, how could you enter into their lives and serve them? We, we just wanted to answer that question. How can I serve the people around me with the gifts and skills God has given me? And that's a different answer for every one of us, but the principle is the same, that serving the lost often precedes reaching the lost. Serving the lost often precedes reaching the lost, and that's what we see in Daniel. That's what we're called to. God, God has left us here in this world so that we can, he can reach them, but to do that, he, we, need, we need to serve them. We need to love them. We need to show them that we're invested in their lives. So serve the lost. And then finally, the fourth point, hope in God's promise. Hope in God's promise. The chapter ends with this verse. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So that verse skips ahead about 70 years. We're here, Daniel's a teenager. They're recording the story of of their coming to Babylon. They're being faithful, God God helping them in their first years. And then verse 21, and 70 years later, we want you to know Daniel was there when King Cyrus became king. Why does it do that? Why does it skip 70 years ahead? What is Daniel telling us there? Well, Daniel does this to remind his reader and to remind us of God's promise. Because before the exile happened, God told his people, you're going into exile because you've disobeyed me. And this is my discipline and my judgment on you. But after 70 years, God promised, after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. And Daniel knew that promise. Daniel knew God said he was going to send us into exile, and God said he was going to send us back in 70 years. And every day when he looked out his window, that's what he was thinking of. He was looking, thinking of that promise. In 70 years, God said He's going to bring us back. And that happened when the Persian king Cyrus became king. In his first year, he made a decree that allowed the exiles to return from Babylon. And, and, and Daniel lived through that, and he wrote it down, and he puts this here, to tell us that when you are in exile, you need to hope in God's promise. When you're in exile, you need to know that God has promised it will end, that your time in exile will come to an end and your time back in God's kingdom will begin again. God, it's it's a promise that God will bring his exiles home. That's God's promise to us. And and, and it's it's the same promise. Daniel and us have the same promise. We just see it more clearly than he did. No, the promise he saw was in 70 years, we're going back to Israel. But even during his life, and as we see this book, God, God began expanding his view of what returning meant. And, and now we know what returning means is, is not just returning to a place, but returning to God himself. Returning to Christ. And our final home is, 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 this is the promise, it's eternal life in the presence of God. Eternal life at the return of Christ. Eternal life in God's kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth with God. That's the promise. That's the promise that God has given us. And what we're called to do is hope in it. We're called to be a waiting, expectant people. We aren't expectant enough because we love the world so much. But we need to hope in God's promise. And what you need to see, this is kind of bringing it all together. This is the main idea. Hope empowers faithfulness. Hope empowers faithfulness. So, we just outlined three ways that you need to be faithful. Trust in God's sovereignty. Resolve to be holy. Service to the lost. Where does the power for that come from? It comes from hope in God's promise. Like, if you're hoping in God's promise, then when, then when life goes bad, and when something goes south for you, and you're in a trial, you remember, God has promised to bring me home. God has promised me eternal life. God has promised me a place in his kingdom. I'm going to trust in him right now. You, you, you are called to holiness, and you're just not sure if it's worth it, and you're not, you're not sure if you want to resolve to live a holy life, but, but you remember, I have a home in heaven, and I'm going to be in a holy heaven forever. I want to be holy now, no matter what it costs, because I have a home. God's going to fulfill that promise to me. Hope empowers that holiness, and hope empowers service to the lost, because you realize, I'm going to have an eternity of enjoying God forever and his people, and right now, I just want more and more people to be part of that. This is hard, I'm tired, I'm burnt out, but I want to press in to serve the lost so that they can be a part of this, so that they can be with me and with God forever when he fulfills his promise to us. So hope empowers faithfulness, and our hope is sure because our hope is in Jesus Christ. I want to ask the music team to come up here, and we'll transition, but I just want to close by meditating on Jesus Christ together. Meditating on why our hope is so sure in him. Listen, Jesus Christ died for us. He died for us. He took your sins, every single one of them, past, present, and future, every single act of rebellion against the Father, every single act of throwing off his rule, throwing off his reign, throwing off his love, he he took it and he bore it. And and he took God's wrath for it so that you don't have any wrath to face anymore. You're never going to face God's wrath. He died for you. He was also raised for you. Jesus was raised for you. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated hell. And because he was raised... We, we, we can be raised because he defeated all these things. We can now be united with him and have true life. He's interceding for you right now. This morning, Christ is in heaven praying to the Father for you. Showing the scars on his hands to the Father. Saying, I've, I've redeemed them. I've saved them. Help them. The, he, he's saying, be with them. Help them. Sustain them. Persevere them. He's holding you fast right now. If if that's what Christ has done, then why would we doubt that He'll return for us? Why would we doubt that He'll return for us? If He did all that, would He not then return and and bring it all to fulfillment? Would He he not then return and bring to fruition why He died? He's gonna return for us, and, and, and this is the hope. We will be with Him forever. We will be with Him forever. Our home ultimately isn't here. And ultimately, it's not just in the new heaven and new earth in a place, but our home is with Christ. He's our home. He's our treasure. He's our king. And so, as we close, as we begin to sing, as we prepare to respond, I just want to call you today yes, trust in God's sovereignty. Yes, resolve to be holy. Yes, serve the lost. But do all of that as you fix your eyes on Christ. And as you set your hope in him, as you turn from the things that you're hoping in in this world, and you say, my destiny is with him. My home is with him. Just imagine yourself, you're looking through that window, and you're looking to Christ. You're fixing your eyes on him, and you're remembering this is the Savior who died for me, who was raised for me, who is interceding for me, and who will return for me. Let's, let's stand together, and let's respond to the Lord.